Welcome to the Dharma Spring. Now we'll be exploring and diving into this time around. The next to the last vow, uh, ninth of the tenth Bodhisattva vows. So it's a, um, I vow not to indulge in anger. I like, it's another one of those vows that there's a little leeway opened up. Uh, Instead of saying, like some, I vow not to kill, not to steal, not to lie, or like last time, not to be stingy. This has something in the same spirit of, I vow not to misuse sex or misuse drugs. In that it says, I vow not to indulge in anger. So it's not saying... I vow not to get angry, or it's not identifying anger as something that needs to be necessarily gotten rid of. It opens up this space of when anger arises and I don't indulge in it, what else might be possible if I don't immediately try to get rid of it, though? Uh, What does it mean to indulge in anger versus acknowledge anger? Um, other questions may arise, you know. So, it, for me, an interesting territory, especially given there's kind of a stigma with anger in uh, in our lives. You know, once you get angry, if anybody gets angry, it can be a sign of you've lost control. You're no longer rational. Um, you're aggressive. You're you know, fill in the blank. Add to that story. Again, a stigma with anger. <clears throat> so, a lot of times, I hear people wanting to get over their anger, not to be angry at all, not to let it arise, where, when it turns out that it's a natural thing to be angry. So, as I see it, this vow opens up a territory for how to work with anger, maybe in an effective way. Um, to see it as an ally, something that can be maybe it's something that shows up as a sign of something that wants to happen and then it can help us find a way to that something happening perhaps Um, and I think you know this time I'm going to start at the end of the formulation in the in the written vows starting this time with Dogen's words which are the last thing that come I'm going to begin there because I think those words in my experience, or as I receive them, they kind of offer guidance or a recipe for working with anger. So his words are um, not attacking, not withdrawing, not real or unreal. There is an ocean of bright clouds. There is an ocean of solemn clouds. So I'm looking at, imagining an example when anger arises and I take the first the first two bits of advice from Dogen not attacking, not withdrawing what that means to me is when anger arises don't immediately do something with it, Andrew don't attack, don't just see it as something to be wielded upon others don't let the energy of it carry me away um, don't indulge in it, you might say don't let it indulge in me, 
I don't know if that's the right word, but don't let it take me over. Don't just let it have free reign. So don't attack with that anger that arises. So there it is, arising in that first moment. How can I hold it here and not immediately let it be unleashed or let it, let the energy of it strike out, um, go someplace else? Again, how can I hold it here? And that same invitation of holding it here is in the second piece of advice, not withdrawing. So in addition to not, you know, uh, unleashing the anger, don't hold it back so much that I'm suppressing it and trying to get rid of it or turn away from it or ignore it. And, or the situation that I'm in. Don't withdraw from what's creating the anger and, and like, retreat. In the sense of completely retreating and not dealing with things. So there's a balance here of... So don't unleash it. Hold it close to you. Hold it close to me. But also... Don't tuck it away and stuff it down and try to ignore it um, and pretend it's not here either. In between not attacking and not withdrawing, there's that land of holding the energy of it. And the energy of it can be quite intense and difficult to be with, so I find that I need to create some space around it. Create a space for the anger to be in so that the intensity might die down some and I can better hold it and and notice how it, it wants to strike out or I want to strike out with it. Or, or maybe and, I also, you know, the, I want to get rid of it. And sometimes the, the striking out, the releasing of it might be the thought of if I just let it go, and the, energy, the energy of it will fade away, it'll be gone and I can, you know, settle back down into something that's not fueled and infused with that anger. And that's the idea of withdrawing, too. Of if I withdraw, stuff it away, don't acknowledge it, I don't have to be uncomfortable in that intense space. But if I neither advance with it, attack with it, nor disappear and retreat from it or with it, and create a space here that it can be, then I can better look at it and maybe understand it and not act on it immediately in either sense and just kind of be with it. Take a few breaths. Uh, allow things to get a little more clear, perhaps. Yeah, but that seems to be the advice there. Don't run away with it. Don't stuff it down. Let it be and be with it give some space to it and try to understand what's happening and that's where the next piece of advice comes in not real or unreal that's an interesting one because um, I notice when I want to advance with the anger uh, attack with the anger utilize it then I want to justify that it's it's real, that it's here for a reason, and I'm right is usually beneath that. I'm angry because something's happened, and I'm right to be angry, and therefore I've made it 
my anger real and justified. Therefore, my actions that come from that are coming from the story that I've validated the anger and said it's worthwhile. And so that's the first piece. But what if I don't justify being angry or find the reasons that it's okay for me to say what I intend to say or do what I intend to do or end up doing? What if I avoid that move of trying to... It's really like trying to calm the fires and the intensity of the anger by saying I have a right and a reason to feel this way and then a right to speak and act in such a way from that. What if I don't do that? Uh, tell that story of how it's justified, how it's real and reasonable, perhaps. And in concert with that, I also don't need to deny it, to deny its reality. So while I'm not justifying and double down on, double, du doubling down on it, ugh, it's also not unreal. So this is an advice to when it's saying not to, when it's not real, it's not saying ignore it and uh, tell a story about how it's something I'm creating. So it opens up another a gray area territory. If it's not real or unreal, but it is. Um, hmm. I think when I go into the territory of making it unreal, I kind of point the blame towards myself, whereas when I'm trying to justify it and make it real, I'm pointing blame towards a, an individual or a situation and finding fault with it, perhaps, or that person. When I'm trying to tell stories that make it unreal, I'm pointing the blame again towards me and trying to figure out, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I getting angry? What have I done? And... That's coming from that view of anger being a problem. And therefore I'm trying to dismiss it, excuse it because of my own faults. And that's a way of also ignoring it, turning away from the intensity of it. So if I don't do that move either, if I basically don't try to tell too many stories about the anger that's arisen, either justifying it or uh, minimizing it, I can hold both, and maybe see both sides of the situation. I can see, uh, well, both sides of the territory, the, the fuller picture. So I can look at the situation that I'm in and see how there are things in that situation or with a person that have sparked certain things with that anger, or sparked the anger. And I, I can also look at my responsibility in that connection to the situation or to the person in the relationship, the way I'm viewing things, the way I'm holding things, and how that has also contributed to the arising of the anger. And it's a way of owning that space, I think, of owning the space of the anger. It's like, yeah, I've done things to contribute to this. It's not completely on me. Other things have happened that have helped that arise as well. But when I own that space of having created or giving, given a place for the anger to arise, then it's a place I can settle into and look into because it's, it's my place. Um, a shared place. 
that I can, it just feels like a wider territory, more open territory, because I'm not trying to run from it. I'm acknowledging that it's here because of a variety of factors, and I like to look at those factors and look into it more deeply and see, well, what, what what's going on here? And this is kind of like that fire and intensity of the anger. By not running away from it, not advancing with it, and not denying or justifying it, I'm giving it a chance to just burn a little bit. It's like, I feel like this move of not running away from or along with it is a move of creating a perimeter around it, using the fire analogy, um, so that it can be a controlled burn, I'm creating a space around it to allow the fire to burn down some, then I might better be able to see what is fueling it, what's beneath the flames, if they die down some, maybe not completely go out, but they die down some, the intensity of the fire lessens, then I can see the ground beneath it and what's making up that ground, what's contributing to the fire and that's to me what the uh, the final part of the phrase is pointing to is is that just looking at well what's here what is it that has again created this situation and that seems to be a first step and then in then learning or figuring out well what what do I do with this so that part about there's an ocean of bright clouds there's an ocean of solemn clouds. For me, that's just looking again at what is. Things have died down, and ah, I see this ocean of bright clouds. Maybe bright and fiery. Maybe the uh, ocean of solemn clouds. Not so bright and fiery. Maybe it's burning down to the coals and the ashes, and I can see that the solemnness of that. Um, but overall, I'm not going to deeply into that particular, what does it mean, bright and solemn, but for me it's just the move of looking at what what is here, and then from that place figuring out what can I do. And I might find that, well, this energy of the anger might be able to be motivation to act and address a situation that needs addressing, but it's coming from a place of more, again, that controlled burn rather than just a an inferno sparking and shooting off here and there. Or it might go in the direction of seeing, oh, I don't need to necessarily tap into that energy of the anger, but by letting it die out and burn down, I can see what's beneath it more. And maybe it's a softer thing I need to do uh, rather than using that energy, a softer move, a gentler approach to addressing the situation. And that might be more internal work. It's like, oh, here's what, here's my contribution. Here's what I've done. But it could also be the work of um, inviting a friend to a conversation after the flames have died down. A friend or an enemy or whoever it might be. Yeah. Invite them for a conversation to look at things together. Again, coming from a place of letting things die down so that things can be seen more clearly, the territory beneath, opening up a way to then proceed. So, that's all in that first chunk, quite a bit of 
again, I think it's good advice. It offers a kind of a recipe, a way of working with anger. And then looking, you know, stepping back from there to Bodhidharma's uh, phrase, which is, the way things are is mysterious and hard to see. In a world where the Dharma is selfless, not contriving reality for yourself is called the vow of not indulging in anger. Initially, to me, this, when I'm just looking at it in the realm of anger, it's kind of more directly connected to what Dogen was saying. Is noticing, oh, when anger arises, if I start contriving reality for myself, if I start telling those stories, then I'm kind of indulging in it. And that could be the indulging in it, again, of justifying and attacking with it, or the indulging in it in, you know, turning that um, energy towards myself and condemning myself, beating myself up. So, initially, that's how I saw this. It was connected, just kind of riffing on what Dogen had said, or vice versa, since they come in the opposite order. I thought maybe Dogen's expanding upon what it means to contrive reality for myself. But then I looked at it and hung out with it a little bit more and just thought this might be something that helps in the territory before anger arises. And it's a way of exploring and owning up to how my contrivances of reality, the way I think things are or should be and what I value and how strongly I hold on to, how I value them, but to look at how those contrivances and my relationship to them, how much allegiance I have to them, might be setting me might be setting me up, setting myself up to be offended, to be hurt, to be angry. So it expands the territory of maybe looking at things I can do in general in life and the ways I contrive it for myself. What can I do about that kind of a preventative measure to notice, again, what happens if I pay more attention to how I might be setting myself up? So I thought that was interesting. I don't know that I've encountered that experience with this vow before or, or seen it that way. So I like that because it gives me something to do before anger is here. Something to work on that might keep it from arising frequently or at all. Or at least maybe when it arises, it doesn't have as much fuel beneath it, as, as much feeding it and um, letting it charge and grow because I'm doing the the preventative measures, the, um, I can't think of the word right now. So it'll probably come to me as I am wandering further from here, but not contriving reality for myself on a daily basis, on an ongoing basis, or noticing what happens when I do that and the situations I get myself into by doing that paying attention to that more and more might help open up the path of life in general to not be as twisted and complicated and troubled as it might be when I engage in such contrivances deeply or hold my allegiance to them strongly. Things in that realm.
that's just kind of where I think I've ended up with this. Is uh, again appreciating that in one respect, when anger arises from Dogen, there's some advice on how to work with it when it's there. And in the other respect, with Bodhidharma's words, there's work that can be done all the time, ongoing, to um, maybe help fires from bursting up here and there more frequently, uh, help them less frequently burst up here and there, you know, do that work. But also, again, prepare myself for when those fires of anger do arise, I can deal with them more effectively. Uh, not have something that gets out of control and damaging, uh, but something that can be worked with, not turned away from, understood, and then helpful in the end. This ally of anger. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.